And boom, we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winner, and I'm here as always with Dr. Bear Paul Lando coming to you live from the beautiful Smith River up here in the gorgeous state of Jefferson. We are so blessed to be on this magical land in this magical place with all the wonderful community around us. People are coming here to really engage in freedom and sovereignty. Um, and it's just been a magical year. I say magical a lot because I've, we're really embracing the magic of the realm. And it's uh, been an enlightening year to say the least. So we thank everybody who has joined us in Alpha Vedic this year, uh, who has found us either through the podcast or through guests or through friends or through the event Music in Sky. Um, we are so grateful and thankful for all of you out there. Our energies are all collecting in the field and creating the new, and it is powerful stuff. And we will tapping into how that technology actually works today because the main carrier of that is water and excited to really dive into water today. It's going to be a great topic. Uh, speaking of music and sky, uh, just so you guys know, if um, we are dropping the talks, the stage talks from that uh, event last July, you can go to the musicandsky.com and go to the Odyssey channel. Uh, Josh Del Sol, Edith Abunto Chan, myself and Jason Crow talking about Cordal, um, uh, Paula Pratt's talk, Justin Franson, all the first year folks that were there the first year, we dropped their stage talks from the second year first to honor them. Uh, and then we have more coming from uh, people like David Avocado Wolf, uh, Paul Enslaved, Renette Sinem. Uh So all of those stage talks and workshops are coming out in the next week or two. So check that out so at musicandsky.com. Yes, Bear. Well, uh, for, quick question. So if you sign up for that now, then you get last year's content as well or just the stage talks? Oh, great question. So what we decided to do uh, for, for moving forward for Music and Sky is we are just putting out all the stage talks for free. You can donate through Odyssey we are, uh, and we're not putting them out through Reunion Summit. Reunion Summit will be its own thing. Um, we just wanted to get them out because Reunion Summit takes a while and people, we felt like people should be able to see this content right away. I know it's already been a few months since since the event. So um, we put those out for the latest uh, Music and Sky. The first, the first Music and Sky, that is all in the Reunion Summit, uh, which you can access by going to reunionsummit.com. Uh, and then eventually those will all be put out on the Odyssey channel too for Music cool. and Sky. Yeah. Cool. So, and, uh, uh, you know, Josh was up here right after the event, as you know. And uh, last year I did a little presentation just talking into my computer. But uh, Josh came up here. And a day later and did two days of interviews where we're walking around the farm and we get, you know, a lot of visuals of what we're doing up here and just a lot of good chats. So that's going to be kind of fun. I'm glad that uh, we did it that way. It'd be a lot more cool content for people that want to know what's going on here. And uh, also, I'm delighted I don't have to try to talk into my computer for presentation. So well, anyway, sorry, Mike. Uh, well, I didn't want to uh, run you there. No, no, I'm excited to have you come speak at Music and Sky this year. If all goes well and we have enough support on the land, um, we will have Dr. Bear Lando hopefully headlining one of the stage, uh, one of the nights, one of the days. We've had multiple requests. So Bear, start uh, working on your talk now because uh, you are one of the most requested people to come talk. So uh, should I bring my guitar? Uh, ideally, you and Martin, Marty Leeds can have a little jam session. How about that? 
because <laughs> Marty's coming. He said he's coming this year, no matter what. So I can uh, wow Marty with my three chord uh, versatility there. <laughs> well, so anyways, guys, if you want to know more about Alpha Vedic, please uh, go to alphavedic.com. That's A-L-F-A-V-E-D-I-C.com. It uh, has all our links there. You can join our amazing uh, community on Telegram at t.me forward slash alphavedic or join us on Discord at alphavedic.com forward slash Discord. Today, we are going to dive deep into water, no pun intended. Uh, quote, water is the rebel element. It won't conform to the laws of physics or gravity, and it can't be killed. Without it, there is no life. Veda Austin. Uh, she is a water researcher, public speaker, mother, artist, and author. She has dedicated the last eight years observing and photographing the life of water. She believes that water is fluid intelligence, observing itself through every living organism on the planet and in the universe. Veda's primary area of focus is photographing water in its state of creation, the space between liquid, liquid and ice. It is through her remarkable crystal lographic photos that water reveals its awareness of not only creation but thought and intention through imagery veda brings a message of hope and joy from the very source of life itself she says quote water is transparent it knows no color creed or religion water does not judge nor does it label it will enter the body of an ant as easily as it will enter the body of a king or a homeless person or a tree or a dragonfly Water is our constant companion. From the moment we are conceived, it is always with us, even upon death. It is water that evaporates from the physical rising upwards into the heavens. Wow, that is so on point. Uh, Veda sees water as source rather than a re resource and considers all bodies of water to be sacred. Her passion for water extends out of the freezer and into primary schools where she donates time teaching water science and cleverly intertwines it with art projects. She loves to reconnect children to the living water systems inside and outside of their bodies, believing that the tamariki, the children, are the water bearers of the future. She also spends a lot of time doing interviews and podcasts where she shares her findings and inspiring perspectives. And we are so blessed to have Veda on with us today, Bear. Absolutely. Uh, welcome, Veda, and thank you so much for being with us. I'm particularly enthused about this talk today. I have so much uh, I want to ask you. You know, uh, people that look at your work, uh, the comments I hear most often are, are mind-blowing. And... Um, I, I have to say that's the only way I can describe it as well. So it's amazing. You know, there's we have a couple of friends, uh, Josh and Adam Biggleson, who uh, look at blood, you know, for many decades, along with their dad before them. Uh, and, and of course, you know, blood being plasma or water. And uh, what they visualize in their microscopic uh, uh, studies are how the plasma will form in very uh, discriminating images, uh, uh, discrete images that, you know, will outpicture exactly what's going on in that body. So if a person has a broken femur or something, all of a sudden you'll look at the blood and it'll have a perfect picture of a femur in there. And, uh, you know, I really, I brought that up because I believe it's um, the very similar phenomena that you're finding in your work, you know, since we're dealing with the water element. Um, just a couple comments and then we'll dive right in here. Uh, you know, I've always been a big fan of Victor Schauberger, who's been described as the Tesla of water. 
And, you know, he was a forester and, and it did many remarkable things, had many, you know, innovations, just one of those brilliant people who's been on the planet before us. And um, he looked at water as a transmitting utility because he found that he could merge his consciousness with water sitting by the side of a stream and then um, communicate through the water medium and then get information about anything that he wanted to know about. It would come back to him through this water element. That always struck me years ago when I was studying his work and in his comments. Um, you know, I also traveled in osteopathic circles more than half of my life here, which is a long time now. And, um, you know, in osteopathy, we make a big thing about the fluids of the body, which are the cerebral spinal fluid. Now, we look at cerebral spinal fluid as being the sacred medium that actually transmits consciousness through the body. And in fact, in embryology, when um, you look at what organs, uh, parts of the body, you know, embryologically unfold first, it's that part of the nervous system up there that creates the ventricles of the brain, five of them. And the third ventricle, which is a reservoir of this water of the body, you know, communicates between a pineal and the pituitary. And then as consciousness arcs, you know, uh, with the electricity created between those two bodies, then you have the perfect transmission of higher consciousness uh, from that point and then distributes through the water of the body. So water really seems to be uh, <laughs> the thing that makes things tick. Uh, yeah, another thing I can think of off the top of my head is homeopathy. You know, it's, it's all based on the ability of water to hold the electromagnetic imprint or informational fields. Uh, sorry, that's my phone of water. So, um, and then with water uh, working in conjunction in a composite of a toroidal field is what really makes the heart pump water. Well, the heart doesn't pump water, it <laughs> circulates through this toroidal mechanism that's activated by water. Uh, you know, if, if the heart had to pump, it would explode, uh, the left ventricle would explode after one single pump because it's not made for those pressures. So uh, water is, uh, you know, as you describe, is what uh, makes <laughs> makes the world go. Uh, well, I don't want to say makes the world go around. That uh, will offend some people. But take it away. <laughs> Please tell us, as far as you know, your mechanism, uh, you know, and how you discovered this, and then um, you know how you get these imageries, and then also if we can use that to segue quickly into what you're up to now. Thanks again for being with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. And how wonderful to hear from somebody that actually uses a lot of the analogies of incredible people's work to talk about water and really show how water is this fluid intelligence. I also loved that Victor Schauberger talked about this intelligence, this communication, this conversation that he had with water. He called it free consciousness. He said that he would be sitting beside a stream and he would be watching the water and he fell into this kind of a state where he became unconscious and his free consciousness as he called it was taken away by the water and then the water eventually brought it back to him and he would regain consciousness and he was filled with information that the water had shared with him and he said that he used to be um, a, a, re a searcher and he became a researcher of his own free consciousness, sending it out on these expeditions to learn more information about water. So that was a wonderful um, person who really was very evolved and he became evolved 
with the understanding of this fluid intelligence because he allowed himself to be so open and focused and energetically ready. And this is something that I've seen so often in doing the work that I do with water and that water simply will not crystallize into any kind of form artistically or geometrically if I am not in the right space. If I'm feeling frustrated, it won't play with me in any proper kind of way of which I would regularly see. If I'm just me and I'm just working out of curiosity in a space of open-heartedness, which is my nature, um, if it's very rare, I'll get totally frustrated and think it's a good idea to do this work. <laughs> but occasionally I give it a go and I simply will not see any kind of um, organized structures form. So what I do, just so people know what I'm talking about, is that I was originally inspired by three people. So I'm going to give a little bit of a story about how, who inspired me, why I was inspired, and what I chose to do from those inspirations. My very first uh, inspiration was from a man that pretty much most conscious people have heard of, which is Masaru Emoto's work. Uh, his work was slammed by the scientific community for various different reasons, which we know. But it didn't make it any less important. I think the importance that we got from that is that we saw ourselves as bodies of water. He really opened the doorway for us to start seeing ourselves as bodies of water and that thoughts become things inside and outside of the body and that water responds to positive and negative. And we saw it in these very contrasting ways. The other person who's much less known, his name is Laurent Costa. He's a French photographer. He takes microscopic photographs, much like Emoto did, except that his idea, which is also much more resonant with me, was that he didn't want to influence water. He saw water as its own identity. He wanted to see what water wanted to share with him. So rather than use influences, he actually simply allowed water to reveal itself in some way. So he took photographs of imagery that showed up in the ice microscopically. He was getting happy faces and he was getting fish and he was getting, he got this perfect heart in the name of his book as a journey into the heart of water. And these were on a microscopic level. And so I found that fascinating because I worked professionally as, a, as an artist. I designed big oil on canvas paintings for hotels and restaurants and companies and designed stamps for New Zealand Post for many years. So I see the world from an artistic point of view. But I also have a, a scientific kind of mind, but I have a very artistic mind and I have a spiritual heart. So I think three, the threefold are where I tend to come from, this interweave. And so that, that I found very interesting. The third person was a radionic engineer by the name of Thomas Hieronymus. And he observed that when he went into a Parisian meat market, he noticed that the freshly placed organs of an animal appeared to be affecting the way the frost froze on the glass behind where they were placed. So, for example, the liver organ seemed to somehow be affecting the frost to freeze in the shape of a liver organ behind it, etc., etc. And his idea was that there was still some life force energy emanating out of that organ, even though it was no longer in an animal, 
that he referred to as the water in the blood and that that still had an energetic that was making a difference, which I found fascinating. So back eight, eight years ago, I didn't have a, a, like a, a microscope, but I did have a Petri dish and I had some great water because I had a very healing experience with water. Um, and I can share that maybe a little later. However, um, I, I, I thought, well, what can I do? You know, I want to see if water has some kind of memory. I didn't um, know for sure if this was a real thing. I wanted to discover it for myself. So I put some water into my Petri dish with the idea that I would somehow project a thought into the water and freeze it because the common thread in all of those inspirational people and pioneers was that the secret seemed to be in the freezing. Water seemed to reveal itself as it froze and it showed information, it showed us something. But I was encouraged because Thomas Hieronymus, the radiotic engineer, he was seeing things macroscopically. So I thought, well, you know, I'm just going to try. So I, um, I held my Petri dish of water and I looked at it. Before I even thought anything logically, I saw some fluff floating around in the water. So I put my hand in to take the fluff out and I consciously thought, I wonder if my hand will impact the water's quote unquote memory. So I put it into my freezer and I forgot about it for a few hours and then I thought, oh, there's that test. And so I pulled it out. I had zero expectation that anything would happen. I held it up to the light and I took a photograph on my iPhone. And that photograph has basically taken me on this eight-year journey. I saw a hand in the ice that was so undeniably a hand that I actually felt kind of freaked out when I saw it. I was like, oh man, this is, this is not what I was expecting to see. It took up half the Petri dish. So macroscopically, it's huge. But it also, my, I inherited my mother's slightly bent fingers. And so it actually had these bent fingers in the image. So it was actually personal to me, which was kind of, Freaky. And so I, I actually, I took, the, I showed my son the photo and I said, Rama, what's this? And he said, it's a hand, mum. And I'm like, I know it is. And so I went down to the beach and I, uh, I got some seawater because I thought if any water is going to be naturally informed, it's got to be seawater. So I just got some seawater. I didn't influence it myself personally. I didn't know what I would see. And so I froze a, a thin layer of the seawater and it revealed this fish with a perfectly round eye and fins and gills and a tail. And I'm like, okay, this isn't coincidental. This is something really crazy amazing. And then my, my freezer became my most used household appliance. And I did, I've now got well over 15, 16,000 photos of water responding in this intelligent, artistic manner. And over the years, I started to fine-tune my type techniques as I became more and more familiar with the new science of water that's out there. And there really is a new science of water. And it is being revealed. Um, my, my friend and mentor, uh, his name is Dr. Gerald Pollack, I'm sure you've heard of him, talks about the fourth phase of water. And that revelation of this other phase of water piqued my interest as I was starting to watch water freeze in the freezer. So 
I thought, well, that's the stage between liquid and ice. It's the, the stage of creation, is what I call it, because that's when everything is beginning to form. It's when water's going from molecular chaos to molecular order. And it's in that fourth phase that Jared, Jerry talks about, which actually stores and holds vast amounts of information. It's when water becomes a liquid crystal. And I thought about that long and hard, and I thought, you know, what I'm seeing with this imagery is so interesting. I want to see it as it's beginning to freeze, if I can. Because I didn't have a see-through freezer, which I would have loved, I'm just working in the kitchen with what I've got. I start opening the freezer earlier and earlier and earlier to see what the water's doing. And I discovered something really interesting. I discovered that there are two types of water in water. There's informed water and uninformed water. And the water that's informed, that's the water that's taken on the information so quickly and been uh, kind of grasped the image, for example, I often use photographs of people as my inspiring influence and I place my petri dish of water on top of the photo for 30 seconds, remove it and then freeze it using my technique that I call collective molecular photography. Which I say that because it's as if the water molecules are working as a collective to create imagery much like pixels do for a photo. And my technique takes under five minutes and this comes from me observing these two types of water in water. Informed water adheres to the bottom of the glass petri dish very, very quickly, within minutes. And the uninformed water stays liquid much longer. So I tip away the uninformed water, hold my dish up, which is filled with crystallography, and photograph it. And what I'm getting now is this 3D, very, very clear imagery, which actually gives the message more clarity than it did when it was completely frozen. It, it's amazing to me now, eight years later, the amount of imagery I could still see in the fr totally frozen samples. So it, it is very, very interesting when you start looking at what's happening in the freezer because there is magic happening in this freezer. It is as if water is actually responding. And so that seems like something kind of crazy, the idea that the substance that we have so familiar with that we just you know, drink and bathe in and it takes away our waste could actually have something to say. But by molecular count, not by volume, by molecular count, we're 99% water. We have more water molecules in our bodies than we, there are stars in the Milky Way. And water originated, at least 70% of the water on top of the surface of Earth, I'm not talking about um, primary water which is found in the Earth's mantle, but on the surface of Earth, 70% of that came from asteroids and meteorites, making it an alien substance of which we can't live without. We don't even know where our water actually came from originally, and it probably came from various different sources, which is a probably why different bodies of water hold different energetics and have different properties. And ultimately they evaporate and they go into the clouds, but it's interesting because there's, because an, an, my dad's Maori, for example, and a lot of indigenous cultures talk about not mixing waters. They say it's like mixing blood. 
and they keep this water pure because they think that that water actually originated from the stars and they're keeping it a very pure type of water energetically. So I've discovered with all of the work that I've done that water has its own energetic state of health. And what I mean by that is that I can take tap water, for example, which has very specific patterns. So without any influence whatsoever, I've observed that water, different waters have different patterns naturally. Tap water tends to form uh, kind of lines and dots that don't really make a lot of sense. They're very disordered. So it's a really great kind of one to use to see if it can change. So either when you put water in a singing bowl, for example, a Tibetan singing bowl, you use tap water and you play it and you have that tone and that sound and the water starts jumping out of the bowl as it does. And then you pour some of that same tap water into a Petri dish and freeze it. You'll see that it's structurally changed and it will have whole new type of form and it starts to heal and by that I mean that it energetically heals because the tap water still has all of the things that the components that make it tap water it still has fluoride chlorine all these things in it but it has structurally changed and when something is what I'm seeing is that it structurally changes into a healthier water so for example Water taken straight out of a spring will form these beautiful hexagonal patterns. And water that has come, say, from rainwater will often form these kind of ferns that you often see if you watch a, um, a, a bubble freeze, you'll see it create these ferns. It's quite satisfying to watch. And it's, but rainwater will also form these kind of hexagonal uh, flowers. And so as it starts to degrade, it goes from a hexagon to a flower to, um, to ferns to grass to lines to dots. So they're very, very organic, um, natural shapes. So when tap water, which is completely disordered, starts to form into a fern or a hexagon, you can see that it's beginning to heal energetically. But I still wouldn't advise drinking it because it will still have the chemical component, but it has this electrical kind of energetic component where it can start to transform structurally, which is re really interesting to me because that, of course, reflects to people. And what I think that it, it means is that because we're made up of so much water and we have our en own energetic state of health, no matter what physical health we might be in, we have our own emotional state of health. And I believe that water outside of the body does too. And so as I start working with water and started seeing it respond, so I've spoken to water, there's all kinds of ways that I inspire water. I don't like to use the word experiment because I'm a body of water that doesn't want to be experimented on. And because I believe I'm working with a fluid intelligence, I give it the same respect. So what I'm seeing is that I can ask water a, a question and get a response that is very relative. And I don't know what the water will quote unquote say. For example, I once um, said to the water, can you connect to my mum? So my mum was like this living angel. She died in 1999, many years ago now. And I, you know, we, we have these incredible beautiful con connections with loved ones whether they're here or whether they're past and when I used to live in Japan way back in the day before 
internet and <laughs> all of these things. Uh, my mother and I would write to each, we'd write letters to each other. And at the end of every letter, my mother would attempt to draw a circle, which was never worked out because her circles were terrible, and she was always the first to admit it. And uh, she'd draw a heart in the middle of the circle. And so when I spoke and I said to her, can you connect to my mum? The image that was revealed in the ice was a misshapen circle with a heart in it. And I repeated that a year later and I got the same response. But what I have to say is that water, it, when you're doing this work, especially with the repeat studies that I've done, water is kind of like there's many artists within, within water. If there was a group of artists and we were all told that we need to draw a cup, everyone would draw the cup, but they draw it in their own way. So every single time I do one of these tests, the imagery, if I'm doing a repeat test, the imagery is the same, but the design is different. So that's been a very, very helpful thing for me to get to learn over these years because what I've started to see, and this is the, the new work that I'm doing, which is pretty next level stuff and I've just kind of gone from zero to hero in all of this because people can go and look at my work um, to really see what I'm talking about uh, with all of the different kind of images that I've shown and I'm not just talking like um, images that people could kind of guess yeah, that maybe that could be a face only the, these are actual images that people can recognize as a quick seg segue before I go into the more advanced work my friend and, um, and mentor, Jerry Pollack, he said, look, this work is really important, but I'd love to be able to see you do a survey to, see, uh, to look for image recognition. He said, see if you can get a survey out there and ask, do you, what does this look like to you? So I put a survey together of 25 photographs of my work, and it just simply said, what does this look like to you? And goes through each image. And I got other people to circulate it through social media, so I wasn't one of them. So what pe the people that actually went on and did it didn't know what they were looking at. They didn't know if it was art or didn't know it was water. They didn't know what, they could have guessed anything. But 85% of, of over th nearly 300 people, I think it was 299 or 298 people that answered and did every single image that they saw over the board, 85 people recognized the imagery, and there were three images that 100% of the people could recognize. So if you consider that this is liquid water going into the freezer, and these are organic images that I'm photographing on my iPhone that are coming out that 85% of 300 people can recognize as an image that was exactly what the influence was, is truly remarkable. And not just like random faces, for example. I have done lots of people's, used lots of different people's photographs that look, we all look different, but some people that look extremely different. And in each image, it shows their specific features. So that was really interesting to me is that water is not just, it's not just a snapshot. It's not an identical replica. It's its own artistic design or of that person and it shows something specific to them. So it's reading, it's reading that picture. And that's 
that's really interesting to me. So then I started doing these repeat studies. For example, music's a really fun one to do because you just play the same song over and over again. Um, so I did that with a lot of different genres too because with Emoto's work, he really only showed heavy metal versus classical music. And so it, perhaps the person that, that did that hated heavy metal. And so my son made a really good point. He said, Mum, I don't really like classical music and I'm not that into heavy metal, but I like rap. Does that mean that Water's just hating it? And I'm like, no, I don't think it is like that. So I did all this genres from Tupac to like the Little River Band and some <laughs> R like, you know, all different kinds and some Bob Marley and various different people and music to see what Water would do. And what I observed is that Water loves to express it wants to express in all different kinds of ways. It's not in judgment. So that was the interesting part when you, when you start just observing things in just two contrasts, just only in heavy metal and only in classical, you kind of miss all the in-between. And so it's like, okay, we are as people, expressive beings, if we want to stay in non-judgment, it's fine if somebody loves heavy metal and wants to rock out and who cares, it's great, whatever gives you joy. And so what I'm seeing is that water chooses how it wants to express for like Welcome to the Jungle, which is like, um, you, you know, that one. And, you know, it showed this kind of like quite almost crazy patterns, but the patterns were the same for each one I did. But for Papa was a rolling stone, it showed these like round circles that looked like they were rolling down the hill and that happened in each repeat <laughs> study. And That's great. Yeah. Uh, curious, Veda, um, on these, are you doing these in the room with playing the music or are you putting the water with the music with no consciousness around it so it's just the music interplaying with the water? Yeah, I leave the room. For all the repeat stuff, I leave the room um, so that it's not um, picking up on any of my personal thoughts or feelings about anything. I do try to remain as neutral as I can and that can be difficult in the beginning, but after eight years of doing this work and you start to realize that water is going to show you what it's going to show you and it kicks your butt too. Like just as I think I know what it's going to do, it will do something different or it won't play mm -hmm. with me at all. It's like you have to keep your ego in check. Yeah. And so. And of yeah. course, we know space in the end isn't really even at play here. And it's kind of more of a quantum connection. So for all we know, water's reading the universal field of what Papa is a Rolling Stone means to means to human consciousness. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's a good point. So, so I I did Om. Um, I used the sound of Om, and uh, it always formed these very round, uh, circular kind of patterns that I guess you could see it as like a spiral. But I assumed that I assumed, which was a bad idea, that when uh, that the sound of a gong would do something similar. So. When I played the sound of a gong, I had that idea, oh, it's probably going to look like the, the om. I already thought that. So rather than do something I expected, Water designed the shape of the gong and put a mallet on top of it to show that it was the gong instrument, not the gong sound. So it, it designed the instrument rather than the sound. So when I did a Stairway to Heaven, for example, you know, you, you, I guess we could conjure up all kinds of ideas of what it might show but it consistently showed a stairway. And so I thought, okay, after about 10 times of seeing a stairway show up in each single test, 
I thought, well, does it actually mean stay away? What is water trying to say here? Is that, that ladder-like image that I'm seeing, does it mean stay away or could it mean something else? And so that then led me on to becoming more of an investigator. So I, I took the song away and I wrote the word stairway and I put my petri dish of water on top of it and lo and behold, I get the same image. So I'm like, I think this actually really just means stairway, but could it mean something else? So then after doing that multiple times and having well over 50 positive images of water designing the stairway to the word stairway, I thought, well, I'm going to see if it means to climb up. So I wrote the word climb up and I got the stairway and I kept getting the stairway. And this has led me onto my new work, which I call hydroglyphs. So in the same way that hydroglyphs are images that have layered meaning and actually represent an entire uh, conversation, I suppose. Each word isn't just, it's a whole. Each hieroglyph is, is showing an entire idea. But as we start to, with language, break it down, we always diminish it. So hydroglyphs are very interesting. It's a non-spoken language of imagery that have a direct connection to the heart, that make you feel what it's saying in a way. And so I started to see imagery repeat itself regularly. For example, one, sorry, I'll just be clear that to get one hydroglyph, I have to have seen the same image appear in the ice at least 50 times using the same influence. So for example, I've, I have 30 of these now, and one of them is the word money. So the hydroglyph for money looks like a coin. It's kind of 3D. It has a very specific look about it. Sometimes it even has these little lines on the side of it, like coins do. So it looks like a coin. And so I, I'm like, okay, so I, I, I did it 50 times and I kept seeing it and seeing it and seeing it. And I realized as I, and you have to realize too, this has taken me years. This is no, no quick process. This is a long process. But I started to wonder what else money might mean. Does it just mean physical money? Could it mean cryptocurrency? Could it, you know, and I, and I started to understand that money means all kinds of finances. So it, it also means abundance. So you could take physical money or any kind of money that we understand on a monetary level and take that away and see it as abundance of something else. So it can mean physical money, it can mean cryptocurrency, it can mean, it also can mean abundance. So it has layered meanings and I'm sure it has more than I've actually discovered so far. So um, there's one where I, I wanted, a lot of people ask me, can it, can, does it know different languages? And that's, that, that's always been fun. So I wrote the word Pugioni, which, which I hopefully I'm saying right, um, my, it's Latin for dagger and my son and I were talking about um, daggers and anyway so that came up 
So I used the word Puccioni, wrote it down, put my Petri dish of water on top of it for 30 seconds, froze it, and I got this perfect dagger in there. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. But then over the course of time, I started seeing these dagger-like shapes show up in my Petri dishes, and they had nothing to do with what I was doing. And I'm like, I, I've seen these before, like, I wonder what they mean. So I, I thought that they might be a glyph. And so I used what I knew dagger to mean, and I, I've discovered, yes, it actually means dagger. I did it 50 times, it means dagger. But then I thought, well, you know, what are you doing with a dagger? Why do you have a dagger in the first place? It's usually to hurt somebody. So I wrote the word physical pain. And I discovered over the course of it that the dagger glyph not only means a physical dagger, but it means physical and emotional pain. I also discovered that it means danger. So I have this um, private group of people that are actively using my technique. And so this one guy in the group, he um, had shown his daughter how to do it and she had, um, had done uh, something in the, in the water and she'd, he basically showed the ice sample. And in the ice sample, I saw two glyphs. Well, actually, I saw more than that, but um, I saw the stairway glyph and I saw a couple of daggers in there amongst some other things. And I'm like, I really want to say something because I hadn't talked about hydroglyphs. I've only just started talking about it. Um, you're the second, second podcast I've done where I've actually talked about this, this latest work. And anyway, I, I, I messaged him and I said, look, I'm doing this work. I think that there's a message in here. Can you tell your daughter just to be careful if she's climbing up something? And so he immediately responded and go, lol. He said, he goes, we're the, tomorrow we're going to this place called Go Ape where it's all about climbing up these ladders and like having a crazy time. And I'm like, okay, what's really interesting about that is that that was a future outcome that the water was sharing with him and with them and with me. Mm. So what I'm seeing is that water isn't just about right in this very present moment. It's not just about replicating the influence you use. If you actually start investigating much more informing connection, relationship and bond with water, what I'm starting to see is that water has its own original voice, its own original way of communicating that doesn't have anything to do with the way that I'm thinking. It's yeah, not a... You, you know, Sorry. Uh, just a quick comment. You know, it, it might be uh, difficult for a lot of us to understand how two hydrogens and an oxygen can be this living intelligence. But what we have to appreciate, and I do here, you know, on my farm, we have plant species and every plant species we recognize as having an over soul, an over soul, which is a cosmic consciousness that is directing that species as a gift for humankind. And water, of course, being the primary element on this planet, you know, all the mythologies of mighty Neptune throughout all the different cultures and civilizations since the beginning of time. Well, that is a cosmic being within the hierarchy of intelligences that have created this system of worlds in the first place. So when we're talking about water, we're, we have to really get out of this mechanistic mindset of, uh, oh, well, we're being scientific and we're doing all this and we're looking at the properties of hydrogen and oxygen. No, 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 it goes much deeper than that. There are real cosmic intelligences behind all this. And that's 
what they are waiting for, I believe, my opinion is for some of us to pay attention and have conversations with them uh, for our own development. So I just wanted to interject that. Thank you. Well, I love that you said that because one of the things you said right at the beginning of this podcast was talking about alchemy. And when you think about hydrogen and oxygen, I, I remember talking to this man and he explained that hydrogen, the two hydrogen, I mean, the, 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 the hydrogen is feminine and the oxygen is masculine and that together they're creating life. So when we think about just, you know, we just think about oxygen and hydrogen being together, but actually it's feminine and masculine coming together to create life. And so when I think about it like that, I mean, back in the ancient times, water was called um, the waters. And then we call it just water. And now it's just H2O. So it's been reduced and reduced and reduced. But one of the ways, the old ways that we still revere water is when we say her waters broke. And so that is a very sacred, special type of water. And that's the other thing about you were saying about how the embryo begins to form. But what does it form in? I've been doing a study not many, too many people know about for the last three years. I've done, I kind of, I have this thing where I've done a lot of stuff over the last three years, where I, I was very interested in informed water and, and life. I'm always looking at what would be the most informed water outside of the sea, for example, what, what would be a really good way to, ex and so I thought that amniotic fluid would, would must hold so much information, but I don't have access to a lot of amniotic fluid. So I thought, well, next best thing is going to be an egg. So I started to do work with eggs and I learned, I've been learning something fascinating. So when you crack an egg, I used um, free range chicken eggs. People would come in and started delivering me all these eggs because they started to get an idea of what I was doing and they thought it was amazing. So when you crack an egg, obviously there's the yolk, and um, then there's the egg white. So I took out the yolk, and I discovered, just like I discovered in water, that there's two, type, two types of yolk in the yolk, um, like white in the white, sorry. So it, once the yolk is gone, you've got this jelly-like kind of gooey substance. If you put your hand in and take that jelly-like substance out, you'll be left with a very thin kind of a saliva-like substance. So out of, dis I, I ended up, and, and this is why I don't, I took a long time to get to this discovery. <laughs> it didn't just like, I knew what I was doing. I had no idea what I was doing. It was just, it was just, I was playing with it. So I discovered that the gloopy stuff doesn't really form a lot of patterns, but if you take the gelatinous, sort of, I think that's the most of the protein for bird, then you're left with the saliva-like stuff and you freeze that and not even using my tech, you just simply can freeze it and anyone can do it. If it's a free-range fresh egg, it will form six patterns or at least four of the six patterns. And they are like mind-blowingly beautiful. They look like a volcano. I called one the volcano, one the flower, one the um, pollen, one the weave and one the um, star hexagons, 
uh, and something else. So, like, so it, there was, it was like they were very clear patterns. And they were unlike anything I'd ever seen. And I started to do them in, with, with different bird eggs. And I kept seeing these patterns. So I'm like, okay, this is clear that this is information in the crystallography for birds. It's relative to birds. But what if I was able to get like a reptile um, egg and use a whole different species and then see if the crystallography would show different consistent patterns? And then I'm like, well, perhaps there is just so much more information, perhaps ancestral information, perhaps information for shape and form is actually held within the amniotic fluid for all life because everything is formed in some form of fluid. Even frogs, they lay those jelly-like eggs. It's still a kind of plasma gel. So maybe there's much more information in amniotic fluid than we've ever really given it credit for. It's not just cushioning for the, em for the embryo. And so I started to see these designs and I'm like, what do they mean? So I'm at that stage now where I'm, I'm actively looking to find a conscious way of uh, looking at maybe crocodile or alligator eggs or snake eggs or, or something like that to see if they will show different patterning and what that, what that means. Hmm. The, al so, the, al the um, albumin, right? The there. albumin, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So um, I'm really interested in the properties of water. You know, but I've always uh, considered it more feminine because we associate it with the emotional element. And, you know, I lived on an island a good part of my life. And um, a lot of people that showed up for island life didn't last long because they noticed that being surrounded by so much water, it brought up a lot of emotion that maybe they weren't ready to process yet. And they yeah. hightailed at home in about three months. Uh, you know, I'd like you to comment on that. And then also, you know, when you take two hydrogens, the feminine with uh, one masculine, of course, it does form that sacred trinity. And there's a whole discussion we could have about that. And, and then on a pure chemical level, the reason why hydrogens and oxygens come together is because you know they are both energetic beings and they have to synchronize their energy. So it takes two of the hydrogens, one oxygen, to create that synchronization that can be a high energy charge that you know does all the things we need it to do. So what is it about uh, maybe water even mirroring our emotions to us? Well, can you water say is, anything about that? Water is a giant um, emotional mirror. I mean, uh -huh. that is the thing. Even when we look into somebody's eyes, and I always say this to the children. You know, if, you, if your skin was invisible and your organs were see-through, what would you look like? And when you see that you were actually this moving, fluid tributaries that is flowing through this human-shaped body, you start to realize that we're always in motion. And so when you start to see that we're always moving, we're always in motion, then it kind of takes away from this idea that we're so heavy and stationary and that we are these fluid beings. And water reflects emotions in all of us. We have tidal waves come up for us and we can literally feel it. Even with anger, when we feel angry, this heat rises in us and you can see that water does that. And what happens when heat rises? It's like this volcano where it will explode. You know, those thermal things where the the, um, the geysers will just heat up and, ex and the water exp explodes out. That's like anger. 
And then we always have the still pull within us where we can be reflective, we can observe ourselves, we can kind of see ourselves for a more calm aspect. But then, you know, we're, we're constantly riding a wave. Within Vedic um, literature, they talk about the three modes of emotion, sattvic, rajasic, and tamasic. Sattvic is a calm, more spiritual, joyful mode of emotion. Rajasic is a passionate mode of emotion, which takes the kind of the good and the, the, the I don't want to say bad, but you know. And then tamasic is a lesser mode of emotion, which isn't very productive. And so they say that we're going through these modes of emotions all day long, throughout, throughout our day. But there's ways to be more balanced. And so how do we go through emotion? How do we feel? How are we feeling inside? How does that work? What is a feeling? To even explain what is a feeling. Well, you could say, well, I'm feeling happy, but explain, well, um, how do you explain how that feels? That makes me feel good. It's only, you can only express it through feelings, really. And so when we like think about that, that's, that's so reflective of water. Because water is the reason that we're able, to, well, I believe anyway, that we're able to feel and move and like flow. So there's always that flowing, not forcing. And so when you feel like you're forcing something, because you, if you're doing something against your will, you're forcing it. When you're doing something which feels good, you're in flow. So when you are listening to music is a great example because water loves to express. I keep seeing it in all, my, all this work. Water is the ultimate designer. You know, and when you too, I have my children just here. I'm on a podcast. No screaming, guys, please. You'll have to, um, you'll, it's, I'll write it down for you. Sorry. You know how the Wi-Fi went out and everything? And my son is sitting here going, what's the Wi-Fi password? I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> all good. I'm amazed um, my kids haven't burst in through the door yet because <laughs> we homeschool here and uh, I got them on assignments right now because I'm solo homeschooling today and I'm amazed they haven't like, I'm done, dad. But they, they know, they know. Anyways, well, yeah. These, the, anyway, so um, hopefully that will sort that problem out. So um, when, you're, when you're driving and um, you're listening to music, and, you know, you can, we're kind of listening to the radio, for example. If we're listening to the radio and we're just kind of it's blurring on, and, but we're thinking about, um, you know, the mortgage or the kids or the week or the year or the whatever, the state of the world, and it's not always the best way to feel. Sometimes stuff comes up. And then a, just an old song that's like your favorite song from ages ago will come on the radio and you, like, turn it up. And it's like, oh, my God. And immediately it takes you to wherever you want to go. And it shifts your mood and it just makes you feel different. That's the power of frequency and sound and, and all of that kind of concern for the, for the time that you're listening to that song just kind of drifts away. And it's like music takes you out of your thinking space and into your feeling space. It's one of the reasons when, you know, when you're looking for an address and if you've got the music cranking and stuff and we have to turn it down to be able to focus, to come out of one space and into another. And so um, it's, uh, water for me is a fluid emotion. It's fluid emotion. And when it comes into a body, that's the other thing. It's like we, we tend not to think about water as something that's alive. Although when we go and look in space, we're always looking for water for life. So we can say that water 
is life, but we never say that water is alive. Because of course, how can some kind of inanimate, well not inanimate, but something that we just see every day that isn't in a physical body, how could that possibly be alive? But then you talk to indigenous people and you talk to the ancients and they understood, always understood water as a living being. And for example, New Zealand is one of the, is the first country in the world to have made, to have given a river called the Whanganui River, the rights of personhood because the Maori considered it to be a living being and fought for its rights and for their rights to protect it. They believed that when the headwaters were cut, it was aquatic decapitation and that when the, 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 um, the gravel was taken out, the belly was being hurt and that when effluence was being, was being pumped through into the mouth of the river, it was, it was just an absolute disrespect to the living being of water that it is and that they have sworn to protect. And that led on to the right of personhood for the river Ganges and the river Yamuna. And so when you look through, and even if you look, um, you know, in ancient Greek and Roman history, when, when you uh, cross the river after you, in, in Hades after you've died and you go and you cross that river and you get, you, you apparently you get to a place where there are various streams and two of the streams, there's the stream or the river of remembering and the river of forgetfulness. Most people drink from the river of forgetfulness and they forget everything about their life. And then the people that are wise enough will, will go to the river and drink from the river of, of remembering and remember not just their life but everything that's ever been and ever will come. And they actually get sent back to the world as people who can share that information, to share that life doesn't just end and that there's mm. so much more. So the idea of water storing holding memory has been around throughout the ages and all um, cultures will have some kind of story about water, even down to how, even down to loads of religions, of course, talk about water and how God spoke upon the waters. And you have all of these stories about why well, if God spoke upon the waters, the waters were there to be spoken upon. When you think about what this essence of water is and you see it as so much more. It's actually, it fits into every creation story that there is. It makes everything make sense, even down to how the spirit or the soul or the subtle body leaves the body. When I think about that, you hear people talk about it happening, but they never explain how it might happen or what that might be. We have this idea because we've seen a lot of videos of, of the, the spirit leaving the body of like, you know, people making that look like a sort of ghost leaving the body. But what we see in the world, at least, when we watch water long enough, what we see is reincarnation happening before our eyes. Water will go from a liquid and evaporate, and it looks like this mist. But because we know of these only, we know of these four stages, but water has so many anomalous properties, and it comes from outer space. I think there's many more stages of water that we simply don't know yet. Personally, I think that we have two types of water within us. I think we have the essence of us as the person who we are, that living kind of spirit molecules 
but we may also have this bulk water that's constantly moving through us and um, keeping us alive and kind of in this process. And that essence water, perhaps that in its liquid stage is within us as a liquid. And perhaps that as our essence is what somehow goes from a liquid into some kind of vibrational vapor upon death and leaves the physical body in this type of form. And if it is a type of gas, when a gas expands, it cools, which would explain why people that feel spirit always feel it as cold. Mm. And so then you think about that and you think about the possibility. And I've spoken to many people who have said that they've had near-death experiences. One guy in particular was clinically dead for 20 minutes until he was brought back alive. And he was really interesting. He's a Maori guy, actually. He wrote a book about it. And he said that he felt himself, you know, kind of floating and he was observing himself, uh, his physical body. Um, and he said, actually, when he went through um, this into this other place, he said that he saw his grandfather and he saw um, his, um, his son who had passed away. His son had died when he was very young, but he'd grown up. And his son was a twin, so he looked just like the son that was alive in real life. And he said that there was this sort of, they, he could see them, but not in the, this physical. He just knew who they were. They were kind of in the subtle body. But I said, was there any water there? What did it look like? Were you sure? He said, there were, he said everything was white except, um, he, said, he said, sorry, he said all the birds were white. He said he saw every bird was white. But he said that everything else was beautiful and pristine. And he said he saw mountains with with uh, snow on them and he saw rivers and he said he looked at the water and it was the clearest water he'd ever seen in his life. But I said, did you touch it? Did you feel anything? He said, he said the only physical thing he could feel, because he said he, he, his grandfather told him that he, he, it was up to him to go back. But if he went back, that he would have to share this message with the world. And so he fell down on his knees and he said he started to cry and he saw the tears form and fall down on his grandfather's feet. And I'm like, there's tears in heaven. <laughs> there's mm -hmm. tears in the subtle, that you, he could shed tears in his subtle body. It was very interesting that there was water, ice, within this realm he had actually been to. And when he finally came back into his body, after having been um, gone for so long, he was actually in a coma for a really long time, and then he, he came out. But that was so interesting to me that he, he could cry and he could see and feel tears in the subtle body, which is that element, that, that element of where we feel and see our emotions. If you think we were talking about emotions, tears are the manifestation of fluid emotion. Think about what comes out of us in our highest, in, even down to procreation. It is fluids and coming together. And, that, and, and these are things that happen in the height of emotion or ecstasy or feeling. And it is a, a very interesting thing that water reveals itself at the height of emotion. Yeah. And the Bi you <coughs> I was just going to say Go the Bible talks about the waters above the heavens with the firmament. 
and the idea that the, all above us is water and that water is eternal. And this idea too, people in the chat are going off on this right now, by the way, <laughs> the, the, the Hopi elder, uh, Hopi teacher said, we are water. When people die, their water goes up to the sky. People, uh, clouds, they become eternal in the water cycle. Really interesting. And then there's the idea of the great deluge, right? The, the great flood and that all of that, those people and those animals and everything, they turned into the water. That was the flood. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of really interesting ways we can go about thinking of, of our spirit as water. Um, yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, I and, have and, Veda, I was, I was going to ask if you could comment, uh, well, comment on Mike first and then I'll, I'll hold off. Hang on. Okay. Oh, I, I speak with a lot of different indigenous people as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I, I feel a lot of us feel it. But I personally feel it. I have a very unique relationship with water, as you can probably imagine. Um, and one of the things, because the world is going so crazy, and there is so much going on, and in some of the biggest times, water has flooded when we've needed it, when, when it, there has been a need for some reason for, for flood. But the nice thing is it feels like water is rising. And there is this thing called primary water, which is held in the Earth's mantle, in the ringwoodite. And there's meant to be as much of that in the, in the Earth's mantle as there is on all of the surface of the Earth, including the sea. That's a lot of water. And within that, in that Earth's mantle, I keep feeling like the water is wanting to literally rise and flood. But it's not just to flood the earth, it's to flood us, it's to flood our hearts, it's to flood us into a new wave of being, a new way and wave of being through this emotion. So if, if emotion is the way we feel and everything is so relative to our emotions as human beings, everything, we're so heated, we're so kind, we're so loving, we're so all these different emotions. If the physical, the 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 water itself, which is held in that crystalline structures of ringwoodite, and it's kind of very, it's like a giant network of information, is literally wanting to share its emotion with us. We can't help but feel it because we're 99% water by molecular count. How can we not feel that? How can that not flood us? I think that water has the capability because there's, we're living on a blue planet. Where's water in the air? We can even forget about that. How do you think prayer goes to where it needs to go? How do you think we communicate, not just through all of this technology, but across the world with each other? Thoughts are created and sent through this um, energetic uh, wave that we put off, I think we have this fluid body, but it goes and extends far out in this, throughout the, the, the air, the water within the air, it holds information too. Just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not there, it's not doing it, it is. So the idea that to pray or to meditate or to share something positive, you're, we're liquid antennas, we're experiencing things to coming into us, but we're also pushing things out and people on our network and our wavelengths can pick them up. But this, this huge body of water that we live upon is alive, as far as I think. I think it is a living, conscious fluid that can communicate with us and is finding different ways to do it. And I think 
we all are looking for great change, something positive, something huge, because it has to be mm -hmm. huge, because so much is going on. And I believe that water is the way forward, and it is finding a way to make great change through us and with us, because we are bodies of water. We are a container mm -hmm. of water in the shape of a body that looks like us, that we attach ourselves to. And the only thing on this physical body that is, gives us any indication that we're water, other than when we cry or urinate or sweat, we're only a cutaway from fluid, are our eye lens. Our eye lens is 99% water. It is a mirror. When you look at me and I look at you, we can see ourselves. We are mirrors. We are water in this container. Bruce Lee, he said, be like water. Water becomes the cup. You know, water becomes and, and, the vase. And, and water also is the most powerful medium in our body that uh, constantly adjusts the micronage, the electrical vectors within our body that hold the perfect uh, amplitude and frequency of the waveforms that hold our DNA structure in its proper stable form. Otherwise, you know, you're, you're more uh, open to DNA structural changes as well. That might not be a good idea. Um, yeah, the thing I'd like uh, to see if you could comment on, you know, we have many different types of water on our plane as well. And we have, um, you know, the alchemical precipitation of water, you know, that we've been describing. We've got frozen water, you know. We also have uh, at the, uh, the core, we have um, primal water, what some people call it. And, uh, you know, which is a direct um, uh, composition of water through the carbon element within the earth itself. So it doesn't all just, uh, you know, precipitate and then fall back down. You know, it's constantly being manu manufactured all the time. So um, can you speak at all about any qualitative differences between those sources? Mm. Well, I've, I've done crystallography of all different kinds of water. So speaking from a crystallographic point of view, that just simply mm -hmm. means I'm taking photos of frozen water. Um, but they hold information and they hold patterns. Mm -hmm. So some of the oldest water in the world that I've certainly uh, taken photograph of, the water, so my Petri dish is like nine centimetres in diameter. The entire Petri dish was taken up with one ginormous hexagon and it was all hexagon which means that it's held and stores its 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 original blueprint of health its energetic state of health and so this this giant hexagon is formed um, from pristine water that has unpolluted untouched and and has gone through a lot of crystalline structure so and then it is like the, like I said, I've, I I actually there's distilled water. A lot of people ask me about distilled water because there's so many different opinions about whether it's good to drink or bad to drink and this and this. But rather than get into the whether it's good or bad to drink, I see water itself as awareness. But I see what I and so what that is simply the observer. So you come into the observer effect, like the, like for example, um, if. Rama, honey, sorry, I need to like um, talk, honey. I can't hear with that. Sorry, he's playing the piano. Um, and when, um, so for, for like the music, 
for example. Say I do a music test and I'm not in the room. So who's observing it? You know, these, the, the, in quantum physics, it, it talks so much about the observer effect. So if, you're, if you are the observer and you're observing it, then it's real. But if you're not there, is it real? Has it even happened? So if I'm out of the room and the water is taking on the information of the song, and then it makes sense that water itself is the observer. It is observing, constantly looking to observe itself in every different perspective. That's why it likes to take on shape and form. Someone said to me, if, what, if water, what if water is expressing its consciousness through us and every living thing on this planet and beyond to observe itself as the observer? It's a very interesting thing to imagine if water is the observer. And so um, when I would do these, these kind of various different tests, that was something that always came up for me. If I'm not there, then who's observing? So when it comes to the distilled water, it lacks salts and minerals. And something I'm really interested in is, is to water like really kind of reduce everything down to very simple things. So human beings are like water, salt, minerals, and consciousness. When you're cremated, the ashes are actually salts. So we have these two sort of immortals. And I talk about water as being an immortal because, yes, it can be polluted. Yes, we can say it's dead water, but it's not really dead. It will evaporate and it will go back into the cycle. Well, salt is very interesting. Salt's a crystal and we use crystal in all our technology because it's, they store it, quartz, stores vast amounts of information. So if you merge an electrical crystal, which is salt, together with water, then you have this kind of electrical liquid crystal inform information carrier, which is what we are and what all life is. All life has this marriage of water and salt. So when you take all the salts away and you, and you distill the water, the water just simply comes into a kind of state of awareness and it's quite different than water that's storing and holding memory, storing and recording memory. So that's why I'm very interested in that because I don't get like very clear imagery or any kind of complex imagery when I use distilled water. So with, with that in mind, I'm like, well, it's very interesting because where do we, our memories come from? So how are they held within us? So when it's like, seems so simple, really, I mean, it's just salt and water and it's just like, we don't think about either of these two things particularly much. But I actually think the two married together so beautifully so that we can be the carriers of information for the yeah. observer of water to observe. Yeah. I, a couple of comments on that. You know, there's another gentleman by the name of Kerry Reams. We could call him the Tesla of biology. And, um, you know, in my clinical practice for many years, I used distilled water and found that it worked absolutely the best for helping people recover health. And the reason being is that when water is holding minerals, it takes energy to do that. When you alchemically process it, distill it, then the, the minerals leave and then you have higher energy water. Okay. And there's a, we could elaborate on why that's important for the health of a body. 
But then it has to conjugate, of course, within a body with those necessary minerals so that it can do the job in a body. For instance, um, uh, natsulf, you know, uh, uh, sodium sulfuricum uh, regulates um, the water supply, you know, just regulates it to different parts of the body. Uh, Nat phos balances the pH of the water, you know, make sure that it's in with that right electrical range that's most optimal. Uh, natrium muriaticum, um, you know, distributes the water properly so you aren't too dry in one place or, or you know, too much in another that can create, you know, physiological problems. So I, I'm and just fascinated with every, what you're saying because I know what works clinically. And then I also know that within the body, you know, those inert, not inert, but uh, inorganic elements, what we call the minerals are absolutely essential to work with the water so that the water can do what it wants to do. Um, <laughs> any comments on any of that? Would be interesting because well, when I, when, I th when I think about that, and this is just me mm -hmm. thinking about it from what you've said, and I think mm -hmm. about water in a state of awareness, say, say distilled mm -hmm. water like that is in a state of awareness. It's not in judgment. It's not holding information. And when it comes, when you, when you invite it into your body, and I often say this to people, you're, you are also, you're a body of water inviting a, another body of water into you it's a very intimate thing we do when we when we drink water or when we eat we're inviting something into our body it is going to become us we never think about it really like that so when you invite say this idea of water an awareness coming into us it's becoming extremely it is extremely aware of us and so as it merges with all of the memories within us, which is all our information, water stores holds vast amounts of information. It's holding, it knows you. It knows you and as it's going through, it might be that it's able to start to work through those emotions quicker rather than bring new information in. Perhaps it's starting to clear some of that information out. It is... Mm -hmm. It's an interesting one because I, I personally had an amazing healing um, experience with water. I, I went under a seven-ton truck, rolled twice. The driver was decapitated. It was one of the worst accidents in New Zealand where someone survived. Mm. And Ouch. I had um, eight operations over the course of 20 years, uh, mainly for bowel surgery. And on my eighth operation, I went in for bowel surgery again and uh, I didn't recover very well and the doctor said look we've actually found that during during this operation you have had showers of blood clots in your lungs and you need to be on warfarin which is essentially doubles as it's a blood thinner as you know and I have always lived a very holistic life from the age of eight I told my mum I didn't want to eat meat anymore and I've never drunk alcohol I've never done drugs I've you know I've been vegetarian my whole life since I was eight. I've never even smoked a cigarette. I've never done anything, and so I and and I've always stayed on this path of living very holistically. So when I got so sick, I was so shocked, and I was really trying to find a natural way to heal my body. And so um, 
after a while, a doctor friend, he's an MD doctor, but he practiced Ayurvedic medicine. And he said, look, totally off the record. I know you and I know you're looking for natural ways to heal. He said, why don't you look and see if you can find an, a natural emphasis on natural, not ionized, naturally higher alkaline water. Perhaps it might help your body. And so um, I became the kind of guinea pig of my own health. And I, did, I put myself on two-week trials on naturally alkaline water. And in New Zealand, we're, we're lucky enough that even our rainwater is alkaline and, and pretty good. But I tried different spring waters. And other than feeling hydrated, you know, I didn't really know what to expect. And nothing dramatic happened, except I used to have a wellness center. And in my wellness center, someone came to me and she said, you know, I know this old guy, he's got his own private water source out of the ground. It's 9.9 .9 pH naturally. And he's only giving it to cancer patients. So maybe you want to try it. So I raced over there and the guy gave me a month's worth of water to try. And after three days, I noticed something that many of us don't want to talk about, but it's a really true sign of our internal health. And after having so much bowel surgery, it was relevant. You know, I started having really good bowel motions. And so many people, uh, we live in constipation nations, uh, <laughs> sitting on the toilet, literally just trying to push a pebble out for an hour. And that comes down to dehydration because a lot of people just don't want to drink water. And so I'm like, oh, that's a good sign. But then the most dramatic thing happened at day 10. I had all these bumps along my arm and along my jaw starting to come up. And they were really painful. I'm like, what the heck is going on? I know my body's like purging, but what is coming out of me? And in the end, this sounds gross, but I ended up getting some tweezers and I, I, I start digging into my arm and I hit, some, I hit this bit of glass came out of my arm and it was green. And I'm like, oh my God. And so... Within day 10 and 12, 27 pieces of green glass came out of my arm and out of my jaw. And they were, had been in my body for over 20 years because when I had that car accident, the man who was driving, he owned a nightclub. In the back of his car were these crates of, the, of, this, New Zealand, of, of this beer. Hopefully you understand my, la my, my, my accent because people keep thinking I'm talking about a grizzly beer when I say beer, but I mean like a <laughs> lager that you drink. And so I had like, um, so he had all of this, this, these beer bottles in the back. And when we rolled, part of the windscreen went through me, but these beer bottles all crashed and like kind of came and I, I went like this and I put my arm over my face to protect myself in the moment. And it, it got all of this green glass. And so I'm like, how the heck can water possibly purge all this glass out of my body. And this is what really led me on to my journey because I had this, this wellness center where I gave the water to all different kinds of people to try because I'm like, this is, is this just me having this amazing experience? But every single person from extremely healthy to very sick had some kind of positive energetic reaction. Uh, everybody's eyesight improved, which is interesting. Um, even down to one lady had to change the prescription on her glasses because her eyesight improved so much. And so I, I noted down every single person's um, uh, reactions over the course of eight, eight weeks. And they were really interesting and quite dramatic. And that led me on, how the heck is this working? So you can look at the analysis of water and see, yes, it's got a high pH, yes, it's got a lot of bicarbonate, and yes, it's this and this and this and this. 
but is that alone what's happening here? And so I started to then look to Tesla, who's, who's saying, if you want to know the secrets to the universe, you know, look at, at energy, at frequency. And, and um, so I'm like, okay, I, you know, I need to look further. And I started to think, you know, I, I've often likened the, each person to having their own song. We all have our own kind of song that plays. And as, when we have a massive change um, of perspective or a massive change in our lives where we feel like we've become a new person, our song changes. And so we have this orchestra playing inside of the body. And so when I drank that water, it was as if the water held such a high frequency, a high note, that it was the finale, essentially, of this kind of opera that was going on where the, the lady sung the high note and just shattered that glass and completed that, that, that part where my body understood there was these foreign objects in my body and sound itself, frequency itself, actually pushed that glass out. And that's what I started to start to feel into, that water has the power the power and the frequency to heal us in ways we could never imagine. And even Jerry Pollack, he talks about this fourth phase of water and he talks about it being the new medicine of the future. And I really do think that this is where we need to start looking because for a water, I mean, it holds so much information. Women can see whether they're fertile by, by using the saliva tests where they spit onto like a little glass dish and then they look at it through a, um, something that kind of ma a magnifying glass of kinds. And as it, when it's dried, if you're fertile, it will form in these ferns. If you're not, it won't. So our bodies are so intelligent because water is sharing information. It's big water is yeah. the intelligence. It makes me uh, think of like the ancient baths of you know the Roman baths and why they had those because that was a communicative residence in the water itself when you go to heal and then you heal and then you spread that information through the water to other individuals coming in to heal, just like the Ganges River. Uh, uh, there's all these famous healing waters, right? And there's yeah. something to do with the interplay of the informational fields between our consciousness through that medium of the spirit of water to others. Yeah. And of course, then that plays through the atmosphere. And this leads to all sorts of ideas about using this technology now because one thing that stresses people out in our community, for me working in cryptocurrency and the idea of wireless technology and all the harmful stuff, and we haven't even touched in on the harmful stuff with radiation and electromagnetic frequencies and how that damages the structured water. But how can we embrace this technology, probably like they did back in the days of Tartaria, and I'm thinking of when I went to the Albacine, um, which is a famous um, ancient um, palace in Spain, where they had all these flowing, the flowing water through the whole palace into these fountains. And it was all, all these ancient palaces and stuff always had flowing water through. And there's, there's this idea, maybe they were, they were way more tapped into the power of water and using it to to you as an informational uh, field where they were actually using it going into these rooms and maybe that's how they were talking with each other. They were using this to transfer information and maybe we can start looking towards that again and having water channels going between our homes and to replace the internet of now. And no, we don't need satellites. We don't need wireless technology. We can use water 
to um, replace these, this damaging technology. And I think we can start going this way and start thinking in these ways. It's really, really positive and powerful. And then I'm thinking about how when you're doing the, um, the photos and it's structuring the crystalline imagery, using that as the new displays, because we know we have like LCD displays, mm -hmm. the liquid crystalline displays, and that's using the electrodes and creating that imagery. But if we can go more analog and having, imagine having a fountain and that's displaying our imagery as the water is just structured going up and down or stuff like that. I mean, my mind's going everywhere right now because I'm always seeking yeah. alternatives to the digital overlay that is being forced upon us. Vera. I love that. Yeah. I, love, and, I love it. And and, and Mike, just to kind of reinforce what you're saying, which I think you already said that, um, you know, all these old civilizations that predated the building of the cathedrals and all the things that we thought were built in the Middle Ages were actually just repurposing these uh, energy generators, you know, into, you know, cathedrals and such. Uh, they were all purposely deactivated at one point by drying up all the geometric waterways that were configured around these structures in the first place it made them work mm. it's so interesting i i was talking to someone just the other day about um plato's uh, uh, talk about this description of atlantis and atlantis is the center has the center wheel has the center and then there's the rings around it and I wrote something once. I had, went through this stage of just having writing for a whole year. I, and I wrote a book called Soul Archaeology, which I, which I never published, but it has a lot of information in there. And if you took that center idea of a center wheel that's moving water in the center, but we, and we look, we look down and we see these rings around it. But when you have the idea that these rings move, then it sort of becomes like an atom. And so there is this idea, this central idea that the ancients have always had of having water, these water wheels. This idea that water is in flow and in movement can create, um, a, this is, is, becomes this information carrier. Literally it is. And when you have the, the technology set up like they did, like you said, it was all closed down so that it couldn't be used anymore. It absolutely, water and geometries together um, can create information that will transmit all of the way around the world. One of the things that I never really understood but that I wrote in this book was um, I wrote about, because I thought I was like going nuts. I started, I, after I had this experience where by, um, I, I, everyone thought I was having some kind of stroke and I collapsed and I, my legs wouldn't, wouldn't move and I managed to push um, you know, the re, redial and, it, and managed to get someone to come and get me. Anyway, I went to hospital. And they did all these tests, and they thought I was having a stroke. And they said, well, when you're not having a stroke, we think you're having some weird migraine, and take these anti-inflammatories, and off you go. And I'm like, okay. Next day, I'm back in the hospital because I'm stuttering. And they do five of the same tests on my chest. And I'm like, why do I have to keep having to do that? Why are you doing this? And they same test, same test, same test. They said, because we don't understand. Here's an example of what you looked like when you came in. I have all my history from the car accident and everything. This is what your heart looks like. Now look at this. And so I'm, it was as if someone had taken someone else's heart and put it in mine because my heart was so much larger. And it wasn't because it was inflamed with stress or I didn't have myocarditis or something like that. It was because it was my, large, my, 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 my heart had just become so huge. 
and they were very concerned. And in that moment, I just didn't want to become a guinea pig, and I discharged myself. And I've never, ever had any of those weird things happen again. But within that week, I started to write about things that I had no prior knowledge of. I started writing about platonic solids. I started writing about special, certain ancient sites. I was writing coordinates for all different kinds of stuff. I was talking about how junk DNA is definitely not junk. And all this kind of stuff. And I started to write about something. And I, every time... I'd write something, I'm like, that sounds really crazy. Maybe I'm going crazy. Maybe I'm really not okay. And then I'd Google it. I thought this thing called Googleitis. And I'd Google everything that I was writing. And everything correlated perfectly. And I'm like, maybe I'm not going crazy. Maybe this opened something. I just unlocked something in me. And I had a physical reaction at the time. And so I wrote that um, in ancient times, there were pyramids were used for all different kinds of things. And I wrote specifically about this one pyramid where there were these big kind of um, bath-like things inside it that were filled with completely saturated salt water. So you couldn't have got any more salt in the water. It was, it was like the Dead Sea. And it, people were able to enter the pyramid from underneath tunnels. And they would go in there, and these people back then were able to utilize the electricity in their body completely different than we can. And they would put their hands in these vats of water, salty water. And the capstone, there was a capstone that could come off these pyramids at the top. And so these people would put their hands in these vats and generate their electrical charge until you, they, you could hear the sound, they would hear the sound and as the sound started to generate, they would leave. And this power would build up and build up, and they would, they, there was this electrical lightning. It looked like lightning, except that it was not crazy everywhere. It was in this very specific lines that would go up, that came from above the salty water. And as that built up and built up, sound built up too. And then at the point of a certain amount of days, it would actually get to such a point that this energy buildup would come right up through the top of the pyramid. The cap would come off and the energy would go up through it and then be used as free energy. And actually, it was a, I, I'm like, okay, this is really interesting, but maybe I'm going crazy. So I Googled something <laughs> like, something like um, you know, fire on water or lightning look or something like I can't remember. Anyway, I came across this man who was looking for a cure for cancer and he had found this, he found that this um, salt water tube, when he put like a microwave kind of uh, electrical component into it, this lightning like uh, fire thing would, would appear on it. And I'm like, well, that's exactly like what I was talking about. And he, and he started to realize that you can use this energy for other things. And so water has been used, but I think of it, the two immortals, water and salt, are the two immortals of which life is made of. And so they've been used for many, many moons. And we've just, for whatever reason, um, either it's been just completely reset and we've started again, or we've forgotten how to, to use these old ways. But the other thing you were talking about around um, 
even the monetary systems and things, Mike. I watched something yesterday about the, the similarities between Bitcoin, for example, and um, mycelium, and how mycelium um, from the mushrooms, the whole network is decentralized, but can literally find and use information in ways and, and, and pr keep updating it. And when it finds a problem, it, it solves the problem and it can design like cities. I think they did some kind of experiment where they, they gave the map of Japan or something and the city of Japan and, and they, they did something where the mycelium was given the opportunity to find its way around this city and it designed the city of Japan even better than the actual architects did. <laughs> and so that's great. It's interesting, but like then with this fluid consciousness, it's kind of decentralized too. It is in this way, it is just completely fluid intelligence, which which is hard for us as people to really comprehend in a way because we're always getting our minds involved in everything. Because we have we've been taught to believe a certain way. We're grown up in certain backgrounds and certain cultures and certain parents and things and certain environments. But we are also all made of the same stuff. And we're so individual. So that's the interesting thing. Just like when I look at water designing art, essentially, the same picture, different artist. It's like each molecule almost is like an individual person. It's so interesting when you really start looking into what it could all mean. And I love the idea of using water as technology because I think that that is the way forward. I actually read somewhere that microchips are going to start using water chips in the future mm -hmm. because it does hold so much information. Yeah, and, and those who are new to Jerry Pollack, I think most people are familiar with his work from our community, but he does have a great TED Talk that overlays. And I'm not a huge fan of TED Talks, but it's a really good one that everyone should watch where he, he really lays out the structured water, the exclusion zone water technology and how that works in our cells and everywhere. And then he goes into the technological possibilities of it from desalinization to uh, purifying water to free energy. And the one thing that, he touches on that we haven't completely touched on today, which I think would be interesting to kind of wrap up is the interplay with light and what light is and how that is the other aspect of how light works with water to create energy. Mm -hmm. oh, I really want to talk about that because that's such a big one because um, we're like these walking solar panels, really with these liquid walking solar panels and one of the things about fourth phase water, it has various different properties. It has more hydro an extra hydrogen and oxygen atom, but also it absorbs more light, which is interesting. And it expands with infrared light. And um, one of the things of which I remember talking to this indigenous lady, and she said that she was watching a beehive. And she said that, I mean, we all have different ways of communicating and the, um, and a lot of people have language, physical language isn't always the only way to communicate. So much of our languages and communication is actually done through our expressions. But anyway, this, this lady, she said she was looking at a beehive and the bee came out and said something to her that she didn't expect in his own way. And the bee said, we don't mind you looking at our hive, but please don't look at it for too long because you're putting too much light into the hive. 
And I found that really interesting, that consciousness puts light into things. She said the tree told her that when she puts her consciousness awareness into the tree, the tree is able to absorb more water and more light. And I thought that was really interesting. So when it comes to my work with water, my consciousness is very directed towards this fluid, water, this fluid. So perhaps that in itself is also giving it more ability to store and hold more information. And if water itself is awareness or is free consciousness, so to speak, that's an interesting thing to call it. If water was free consciousness and we are able to add to it with our conscious awareness to add more light to it, its ability to store information specific to us is even more enhanced. So the idea, for example, of being able to use light and water, these two life-giving properties, um, and then you add that salt component of which we also are. And you, I've, I have had this cool idea that I really, really want to make one day, and I have no idea how, but maybe someone can help me. I want to create this giant, um, kind of, I don't know, it has to be glass, maybe not glass, but this kind of a, uh, orb shape. And within the uh, layers of the glass, there's water. And there's the ability to freeze it. And then people can go in these, inside of this orb and actually project their feeling or lay in there if they're sick and the, you, or any of these different things. And then you have infrared light or some different kind of light that is actually impacting it. But when you freeze it, you're going to be able to see your thoughts crystallized around you. And if you put loads of people inside that orb, you have everyone meditating, not only are you physically going to be able to freeze that image and see what people are feeling and thinking and or healing, that then when you melt that and you're able to release that water, you can give it to everybody to drink. Wow. And then they actually have this ability to like um, heal or expand in ways that we kind of, there are technologies that we can think of that could change the face of the way we look at the world. And I think that's the way well, the, forward. I really do. That's the kind of Disneyland I want to go to. Yeah, me too. Well, and, and of course, what you're describing is a, is a macro version of what our body already has. Um, you know, it already exists, everything you're talking about, and then bringing it out in some kind of form. I, I love the way your mind works that way. And, you know, the eyes being the window of the soul, you know, you're having a conversation with somebody. You look into their eyes, you know where they're coming from. And what are the eyes? Well, they're projecting those informational fields, those vectors that are going through your emotional and mental being in there projected through an orb that's filled with vitreous fluid, you know, the, that uh, amplifies those, um, those uh, informational fields. So you, you've got everything you need to know about somebody just by looking into that fluid in their eyes. Absolutely. And then you look into the eyes and it's like looking into this galaxy. Perhaps every eye is showing you where the water actually came from, what that nebula looked like or what that looks like. I mean, it's, it's crazy amazing when you start thinking about what the eyes represent and how mm -hmm. reflective they are. And then you look at a pool of water, like the, from a puddle of rain, and you look how it reflects your image or all of the, the trees or whatever around it. 
and you think, just because I'm observing it and seeing it, maybe it is observing me. And I used to think that as a child. I used to think, and I'd look in the puddle of rain, and it feels like you could just step into that other mirrored world. And I'm like, well, what if that other mirrored world is actually observing me? Because I've done some work with dreams, where I've put water beside um, my bed with the intention that maybe it can capture a dream. And I did that for a couple of months, and it was crazy, incredible, amazing. So I would like go and freeze, and I can remember a lot of my dreams. So I just, as soon as I woke up, I'd go and do a, a freeze it and pull it out and photograph it. And I would, it would have captured some part of my dream. Mm. And sometimes I couldn't remember what I dreamt, and then I'd see it in the ice. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, it triggered my memory. I'm like, oh, that's right, I dreamt that thing. There was one where, um, I, I dreamt of like, I would think I was making like a, um, a feather, um, you know what the American Indians have got that headdress? And I was putting the feathers on the headdress and in the ice there was the whole feather headdress was in the ice. And these are dreams. So this is our subconscious at play. So it is extremely interesting when, how water is the interplay between worlds from from it communicating from my spirit, maybe from my mother, through to dreaming when you're in your subconscious space, through to um, having shown me something from a hundred years ago that was from a sacred spot that's no longer there. There is information within water where if you imagine if it really was there it's throughout, all of the, throughout all of the universe, and it's storing and observing and holding all this information. It has all of this ability. If it really is like fluid consciousness, and we start using that and tapping into that and using that as the way forward for technology, I really think that we would have an entirely new world, a world in which we can be proud of, a world in which we can actually give us hope and give the water hope because I think that that's what, what, what is, I don't know, it's important. I really feel like it's important. Water is transparent to show us how to be in our world, in our body. Transparent people, where we're not hiding, where we're actually not afraid to look at people in the eye because we've got so much going on inside of us that we don't want them to see us. We know when someone's looking us in the eye, they can see us. Subconsciously, internally, we feel it. We are bodies of water observing each other. And not only that, you know, people say if something's alive, then it has to procreate. What are we doing? We're bodies of water having other bodies of water. We are, it's when you start thinking about it in this terms, and then you start thinking about all of the ways in which we communicate, and you think about the, the pioneers which are so revered and that had such great technologies to give us free energy and various different things, they're working with what we have in this world. We've got electricity, we've got water, we have uh, technology that we're able to build which can create, the, 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 can be the kind of conduit for information. I, I don't know, I think it's pretty, there's no end to where this can go and there's a lot no, of really clever conscious people out there yeah. And, and we don't even have to look to the past because, you know, people like yourself, yeah. what you're describing is our true essence. It's who we are. 
And, uh, you know, we've lost that for a while. And now uh, with the rediscovery uh, also comes a new deeper appreciation for it. So I'm extremely optimistic in that what you're describing, you know, it's the cat's out of the bag. You can't put it back in now. And all the maladies we see of the world are just very temporary symptoms of, you know, uh, just illustrating, you know, maybe where we deviated from natural law. So it's it's already a done deal. And I think it's up to people like ourselves just to, you know, usher in exactly what you're talking about. So I have no doubt that, you know, we're not only going to recreate, uh, you know, what people once had, but far, you know, far exceed it. So where can people best find your work and your books and, and all your recent work? Sure. Um, so my website's the best place to go, which is just vadaaustin.com. And I've, I recently got on Instagram, so I've been on for like since the beginning of the year, um, which is vadaaustin underscore water and on Facebook, which is vadaaustin water researcher, all the likely places. Um, and I have lots of videos actually and examples of my work on my um, website and I also share my technique so I'm started doing workshops I'm doing an advanced one soon where I'm talking about the hydroglyphs and getting people that have been doing the work just to know what to recognize to know what to look for so they can start looking for them too and then we can start because I have 30 of them so I'm literally reading water but when you start seeing it show up around the world that's really interesting there is a global network within this water of information that can be literally understood by other people and not just me. So I'm sort of going to be doing that. That's on the 6th of November. Um, and I do like beginners workshops, just guiding people through um, every three weeks. Mm, brilliant. Thanks so much, Veda. Uh, and, and maybe we can work on uh, creating a art build out of this water idea at the next music in sky as oh, yeah. and where we all walk in and freeze our thoughts and then drink them. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be super fun. No, seriously, um, we would now that you're in California, we, uh, maybe you could come to the next music in sky, our mutual friend, Dr. Edith Ubuntu Chan, who was in chat, actually, I don't know if she still is, but she was in the chat here today. Mm -hmm. Uh, she spoke at the last one and at the first one she's, uh, and, and it would be great to have you there. I think people would really resonate with a stage talk about this if you'd be open to that. So I would love to. Um, oh, it's such an empowering and, talk. And we'll have the uh, the world's first um, frozen thought bar at the same time. <laughs> oh, my God. That was so much fun. <laughs> uh, amazing. See, yeah. we're having fun. We're having yeah. so much fun. That's why I opened up the show with this being a magical time, because when we have this this time right now that we're going through it has allowed us the opportunity to meet amazing souls like yourself veda and then now we're connected and we 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 connect with most of our guests and stay connected and we work on projects and we we push stuff forward and that's really where where a lot of the magic's happening right now is collaboration and cooperation and um us coming together just to create the solutions ourselves 
because yeah. that is the new age we're moving into this age of Aquarius or whatever you want to call it. This new epoch is a, is a decentralized age, but also an age of collaboration and cooperation where we don't need to look towards some figure that is a specialist or that has a certain, um, uh, you know, thing on their wall that tells them that they're the ones we need to look to. No, we do it. We do it ourselves because the information is now at our fingertips. So those that want to in the chat here are asking, you know, has she done this and tried this? Well, you can do it. So in terms of uh, looking at your water and freezing and all that, go to Veda's website and look up her in tutorials or, or join a workshop she's doing. And then you can start experimenting on your end. And maybe you'll find some little secret that uh, we've forgotten about um, that can help the world. So that is what is so fun right now. And thank you so much, Veda. Any parting words for our community? Oh, well, I think we're all bodies of water connecting and light connecting. And I think that the most beautiful thing I've discovered about water is that it's constantly reflecting my heart and constantly reflecting my most, my deepest desire, which is actually to be in service. And so I found that being in service with water, and water is essentially my spiritual teacher, and it's constantly teaching me about myself, about this world, to stay humble, to stay kind, and be in flow. I think just stay in flow and trust that we're being guided back to source because every single drop of water goes back to source, and that is what we're doing. Mm. Beautiful. Love it. And we are so for lucky here, Bear, to be living on the Smith River, one of the purest, cleanest bodies of water in North America. Uh, shout out to Barefoot Brad, a local legend who has protected these waterways from international mining for decades. Uh, and it is truly empowering to protect the water because the water pays us back in full and we get to bathe in it, swim in it, drink in it here, drink it here. It's why I chose to move here. Uh, move my family here. So, uh, so important. In fact, I think I'm going to go do an ice cold dip in the river after this chat. Um, and I was talking about this because we're big fans of Wim Hof and doing the ice bath stuff, but there's something magical and amazing about doing an ice cold dip in a moving body of pure water because it's structured and it's flowing and talking to you versus a more sterile ice bath. So if you guys can go jump in the ocean, which is an amazing way to do it too. And here we've got pretty cold ocean up here. Um, but if you can do an ocean or a cold lake or river in the winter and really engage with the cold and that aspect, um, there is just something so, so powerful uh, about that. So, uh, okay. Okay, guys. Thanks so much, Veda. This has been amazing. Um, everybody, please give us a like and or support and share this. If you, this resonated with you, um, share this with your family and friends. This is information we need to get out to more and more people. So thank you for your support and God bless. And as we always say, make sure to get outside, get your, uh, get your feet in the dirt. Uh, and go jump in some beautiful water because uh, really it is the best teacher. We love you and we will see you next week. Thanks, guys. Take it easy.